Good morning. Welcome back to Driving Theology. This is Mike. And uh, let's see, what is today? Today is May 15th, I think. May 15th. And I'm on my way to work as usual. Hope you guys have had a, an eventful uh, week. This has been one of those crazy weeks for us where we have a lot of people in and out of the house. Uh, some staying, some uh, visiting, and we're going to have a semi-permanent visitor coming to live with us tomorrow. Uh, somebody who's been uh, in in our uh, bigger community um, that we're a part of here uh, who needs a place to stay. So she's going to be staying with us tomorrow, from tomorrow. We'll see how that goes. Uh, and yeah, we've had, uh, some guests in the house, Cam and Ayami, uh, from Nishinomaki were here for maybe two nights, uh, this last weekend. They're in the process of moving down here and joining our, uh, band of brothers, <laughs> for lack of a better word. Uh, yeah, it's been, it's been a pretty good week. And then we have, uh, Judith, uh, from Canada is here with a short-term missionaries from her church in uh, the Toronto area. And uh, Judith used to be a missionary here in Japan, and she now works with that church in Canada. Uh, so yeah, they were, they, they are here in, in the area, and they were in our home last, oh, two nights ago, sorry, two nights ago on Monday night, today's Wednesday, just for a dinner and uh, time for prayer. And, uh, yeah, and then last night we had a, with that group, we had a prayer time at a local congregation uh, also. So, yeah, it's just been kind of a, kind of an eventful week. Lots of people in town, uh, sort of like family, you know, family, when family comes into town is what it feels like. Anytime Judith comes back, it's sort of like, you know, having family back in town for a little bit like she never left uh, in a lot of ways. Coffee on my finger. Yeah, so it's been going on. Been meeting with with the guys on Thursdays still. That's going well. I think we had six guys last week maybe as many as we've ever had. Um, yeah, so just talking about theology and things like that. Stretching each other's uh, comfort zone a bit, I'm afraid, but uh, there's nothing for it. It's a good thing. I think when it comes down to it, it's done gently and with love and acceptance. Um, yeah, and I've had a bit of a cold this weekend, too, so I'm still just a little bit symptomatic. Not anything horrible, but definitely on the, on the mend, I hope. Um, yeah, so did a little reading in uh, the uh, book about Lao Tzu this morning. 
uh, which is by, I, ever, I never know how to say it, but I say Hiramonk Damascene. I'm sure that's not quite right. Um, and uh, yeah, so several things have come up the last couple of days. Especially in conjunction with the ideas of uh, freedom, uh, which I love talking about, uh, I think I think freedom in Christ is one of the um, lesser understood ideas. You know what that means exactly. And uh, although Paul probably introduces us to the idea of having freedom in Christ. Uh, he also kind of says some things that make it difficult to understand what he means by it. And so he kind of uh, gets in his own way sometimes, I think. Um, at least from my point of view. Uh, um, and so, you know, being being free, and I've talked about this before, that, you know, we've often qualified what freedom in Christ means and knocked it down to a version of freedom that only works in a certain uh, you know certain frame uh, with with many uh, governing uh, parameters kind of thing uh, and so it's not really f- true freedom it's freedom in Christ right it's a brand of freedom or it's another word for whatever freedom in Christ means it's a code word or something like that, but uh, I've argued in other places um, that freedom in Christ needs to be true freedom, right? We need to, we, we need to understand it as, as true freedom, and if it's not true freedom, uh, and this is, this is something that came to me yesterday, if if freedom isn't truly free, if you're not truly free when you have freedom in Christ, then then the grace of Christ is not truly grace, right? I think we we can be free, completely free, truly free, because Jesus' grace exists. Uh, and, and I don't think you can qualify freedom any more than, than you can qualify grace. Uh, they are absolute terms. You either have grace or you don't, and you are either free or you are not. Uh, and I think those two, those two uh, ideas really uh, go hand in hand. Uh, when you believe that you truly are covered by the grace of Christ because of uh, who we know Jesus to be, uh, who he showed himself to be on the cross, uh, then you are truly free. Uh, you're free indeed. And, and this this verse came up, you know, if the Son has set you free, then you are free indeed. Uh, the other night, uh, on Monday night, when I was talking to these people, and it was sort of an aha moment for us. Um, but the problem is that has so many implications to our uh, soteriology, right? Uh, in other words, the how 
how we view salvation, right? What is salvation? How do we get it? Uh, and and if if you have a conditional view of salvation, in other words, you only get it when you know one only achieves salvation when they meet uh, certain criteria, um, then then now you're 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 really having to struggle with the idea of freedom and the idea of grace, right? Because it, it, freedom needs to be less than true freedom and grace needs to be less than true grace. Uh, so it's just this can of worms. If you believe you are truly free in Christ, uh, which, you know, let's define that. How do you de- de- define true freedom? And the way I would define freedom in Christ is that there's nothing you can do good or bad to either earn nor negate the grace of God right the grace of Christ as shown on the cross um, there's neither there's nothing you can do to either diminish or increase God's love for you it is absolute right Uh, another word for that is grace, right? His grace is absolute for us. Uh, Jesus covers it all. There's a song, Jesus covers it all, my sin and shame don't count anymore, right? Uh, His blood has done it all. Now just, you know, what is the mechanism by which that blood forgives us? You know, that's, that's a debate. If you listen to my podcast, you kind of know where I stand on that, uh, at least right now. Um, but it's a work in progress, an unfolding story. Uh, but yeah, if if freedom in Christ is true freedom and grace is complete grace, then salvation, in my mind, must be unconditional. Uh, and the only, the only uh, caveat to that, I think, would be our insistent refusal to accept that grace, to refuse to accept it. And I think, I think that that one condition plays into um, the idea that we are autonomous beings, that we. Uh, are allowed to make choices uh, and the fact that we can choose uh, really kind of accentuates that God is a God of love He has given us the ability and the freedom to, to choose right now despite the choices we make it does not change the way God feels about you He loves you absolutely completely to the point of uh, laying down his life, right, uh, for us. So it doesn't change that, but it may just, you know, you you may have a will that is so uh, broken and and unmovable that you will resist the love of Christ for eternity. And the thing is, I think I think Christ will honor that. He's never going to force you. 
but I think he will continue to try to get you to accept it. Right? I think he will continue uh, to pursue you in this life and the next until you finally uh, give in. Um, and again, I feel like if you accept the idea of unconditional freedom and unconditional grace and unconditional love, you have to realize that salvation, therefore, must be unconditional. Uh, it doesn't matter, you know, whether you know Jesus or you don't know Jesus or you uh, have followed um, a certain way of life or anything like that. If, if, it's, if it's unconditional, it's unconditional. Grace is a free gift. Uh, and therefore, you know, what you do or say really has no bearing on your being eligible to receive salvation. Salvation is there for you. It's free and it's not, it's, it's, a, it's unconditional, right? Well, then, you know, you have to start doing doing some, you know, if you, if you get to that point, if that's where Jesus has led you, if you have so focused on Jesus that you come to this point of, of accepting his unconditional uh, grace, forgiveness, love, salvation, freedom, if you accept all that, uh, well, two things. Right, the fruit of that, I think, will be that you will actually uh, live a more righteous life. I think when you realize how much Jesus loves you, and you meditate on that, and it sinks in, and it begins to permeate you from the inside out, I think you will begin to live more and more uh, as, uh, as a fully human person. In other words, uh, we... Uh, most of us today are not living fully human lives because we are living corrupt human lives, not the, not the human life that, that God created us to be a part of, but one that has been uh, corrupted by the influence of sin or the absence of, of God in the world. Uh, and so, first of all, you will be able to uh, begin living a better and better life without the, without the uh, shame and guilt that comes with conditional salvation, right? That your salvation is conditional on your behavior or your performance of, of various uh, religious rituals. Um, uh, so that'd be one thing. The other thing is you kind of have to do uh, some work on understanding the role of Scripture and things written in scripture. You, you have to look at it, and you will. You'll look at it uh, from a different lens. And and that's a lifestyle all in itself. You know, it completely changes the way you read uh, Holy Scripture. You see it through a lens uh, of an all-loving, all-forgiving uh, God. and But you see that God was not always understood to be that throughout scripture uh, and that possibly even has gotten into the New Testament uh, the 
less so, I would say, than the Old Testament. Uh, and then, but you you will have some some conflict. Um, and how you learn to deal with that conflict, uh, I think, will will uh, yield either better results or just continue to confuse you. Uh, and you may go back to believing in him and in God who offers only conditional salvation. Uh, who's to say, right? Uh, as uh, my friend Pat likes to say, we're all on a different journey. And uh, um, how, how and when we come to different uh, realizations uh, of who God is and, and, and what he's doing uh, in the world you know, who's to say how, how and when we're going to get to those uh, to conclusions um, that maybe make more more sense than our previous held ones. But, I'm kind of rambling here. Uh, yeah, you'll have to kind of look at that differently. And it will look differently. You know? uh, and there, there are a couple of ways that people have looked at that discrepancy between the God that Jesus shows us and the God in the Old Testament. And one of them is, is the idea of uh, dispensations, uh, that, that there were time periods where God acted differently with people. And so he was one way with, say, the patriarchs, and, or even you know, with Adam and Eve, one way with the patriarchs, one way with the with, uh, people of Israel, and then one way in the New Testament. He continued to adapt his method uh, of being. For example, he was in the Old Testament more of a disciplinarian, right? More strict. Uh, he punished sin directly and ruthlessly sometimes. Um, and in the New Testament, he put that all aside and started acting differently. Uh, if, if you believe in uh, the concept of uh, inerrant or infallible scriptures, you may have to draw those conclusions. Although, uh, some people actually believe that, that the violent God will return at the end, and judgment will be uh, Christ wielding a sword uh, and, and destroying the wicked. Uh, a lot of people think that's going to happen in the end. I, I don't believe that's what Revelation is about at all. Um, but but you would have to do you know the same kind of work to understand Revelation in light of what you now know God to be as found in Christ. And that is again uh, unconditional grace, love, freedom, salvation, uh, forgiveness. So, yeah, e either way, there's work to do, right? Uh, you either believe uh, God acted differently throughout the history of man in order to bring about uh, his, his divine purposes, or uh, that God was always the same, and man uh, struggled to understand who he was, and often uh, anthropomorphized God and uh, attributed to him human characteristics um, that we would see people in power often have. We would 
god is probably the same way. You know, a, a king who who uh, eliminates uh, eliminates his enemies, for example, or uh, you know, kings who try to preserve their own family line by killing others, or uh, you know, whatever. Um, it would be easy enough to assume God is the same way because kings uh, throughout history have, have been deified and looked upon as gods and, and often called themselves gods, right? Uh, whether it was in Japan or Rome or, or you know, other countries, kings were, were often looked upon as divine. And then in Europe, this became the divine right of kings. In other words, kings were uh, appointed by God and could only be judged by God. Um, which was another way that this played out in, in latter history. Um, but even into the 1900s, you know, there were kings. For example, the Japanese emperor was was seen as divine. He was a god uh, who led the country. Um, so, yeah. Understanding God to offer unconditional freedom, uh, grace, and love uh, is great in, in one sense. It, it finally makes sense of who God is. But in another sense, we now have to uh, just, you know, make sense of, of all the mistaken, uh, you know, records that we have of Him whether it's scripture or history or whatever. Um, some of it's just in our language, in our idiom, right? Um, we, we have this thing when, when you know, a huge tragedy happens, like a, a, a massive earthquake or, or a volcano or a tsunami, uh, you know, forest fire, something like this. We call it an act of God, Right? Uh, so big that, that man can't be responsible for it and therefore God just did it. The problem with that, that phraseology is that what it does is blames God for some of the worst tragedies that have ever happened on the earth. It blames God for them. And of course that, that gives you another image of who God is that does not jive with uh, God is found in, in the person of Jesus. Uh, and so, you know, my hope for you would be that you come to understand this unconditionally loving, accepting, saving God, um, and then that you would start to see your language, you know, the way that the other uh, thoughts that you have of God, whether, uh, you know, given to you by culture or by religion or whatever, and you start doing the work of, of rethinking all that, and I think your language will change over time as well. Um, you know, we use things like, well, it must have been the will of God. If it happened, it must have been the will of God, as if only God's will ever comes true. Uh, you know, a baby dies, oh, it was God's will, you know, the tsunami happened, well, it must have been God's will. Uh, well, if you, if you see God as, um, 
looking like Jesus, then you have to realize, well, no, I don't think it's, I don't think that's God's will. Just because things happen doesn't mean that God ordained it or caused it or even allowed it. There must be something else going on, right? Um, and so it, it takes some work to start uh, weeding through all of that. Um, but in my experience so far, it's definitely worth the effort. It's definitely worth the effort. And, it, and I think uh, you will see that as you, as you take this road towards understanding uh, the nature of God, uh, Jesus Christ will shine brighter and brighter. And I think your love for God will grow deeper and deeper as you understand just how much He loves you. And, and to me, the, the fruits of that life are greater than the fruits of a God who you have to fear, uh, who may arbitrarily punish uh, people, both the, the, the righteous and the unrighteous, right? Uh, and which does not jive with uh, the person that we find in Jesus. So uh, yeah, I think it's I think it's a very good um, good thing to go for, you know, to, to at least start to contemplate. Start with you know I keep saying this. Start with Jesus. Spend a lot of time with Jesus, uh, whether in the Gospels, whether in you're in meditation with Him. Um, focus on the Jesus that we find in Scripture. Let that take you to the concept of the Christ. Right, uh, the cosmic, uh, universal, uh, active uh, person in the Trinity, right? Um, or maybe we could say the Christ is the whole Trinity. I, I think it's that's actually possible. But anyway, uh, it's another discussion. Uh, and then let that be a lens by which you view everything else. Uh, this world, science, history, religion, uh, Holy Scripture, whether it's Christian or not, um, let Christ be your guide uh, to understanding everything else. And I think he does that both uh, in um, revealing himself to you in scripture, but I think he'll, he will reveal himself to you from within as well. Um, uh, one thing I thought about talking about today, which I didn't, is, you know, the idea of soul and spirit. What is soul? What is spirit? How do they work together in us? Uh, which one uh, is us and which one isn't? Or are they both us? Or are they both not us? And, you know, the idea of soul and spirit is pretty interesting, I think. Um, but how I'm starting to understand spirit now is that that is that part of you that is able to uh, connect and understand the language of God, right? It's not God himself. It's not a part of God. It's a part of you that God has put in you that uh, 
I would say probably is incorruptible, right? It's it's the image of God in you. It's not something that that you can ruin, but it is something that you can subjugate to your soul or yourself or your ego, right? You you can suppress the spirit within you, your own spirit, uh, and when you suppress. Or, or subjugate your spirit to yourself or your soul or your ego, uh, then it becomes more and more difficult to hear uh, the Spirit of God speaking to you through your own spirit. Uh, and you know this is this is all the all of the the uh, verses about uh, you know denying yourself, take up your cross. Uh, laying down your life, right? Uh, that's what all of that's about. Uh, denying your ego so that your spirit can reign and thereby uh, comprehend the thoughts of the Holy Spirit better, if that makes any sense. Of course, it's really all metaphor. Uh, how and what the mechanism is, who's to say, how that works together. Um, but that's that's kind of what I've been reading recently uh, about and starting to be able to contemplate that just a little bit. Um, but there is something with, you know, soul and spirit in us that needs to be dealt with. That's why, you know, uh, I think Paul said, maybe Paul, uh, the Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, able to pierce and divide soul from spirit, right? Um, so, yeah, there's something there. There's something that needs to be dealt with with soul and spirit. And yet, the great thing is, even if you don't, uh, you have that unconditional love, grace, acceptance, forgiveness, and freedom uh, that Jesus will never take from you. Right? Um, so yeah, I think I'm going to cut it off there. I, I, uh, yeah, I hope this was... This was more of a rambling kind of, a, yeah, maybe a little bit difficult to follow. Maybe not. I don't know. Um, but uh, yeah, that's uh, that's what I was thinking about the last couple days. And uh, there you have it. You guys have a great day. Bye bye.